Well, good morning, Oceanside Sanctuary. It's good to be with you again here on YouTube and Facebook. Today begins our Advent season at the Oceanside Sanctuary. This is the period before Christmas every year when our celebrations and our liturgies, the texts that we read, the sermons that we teach, and the songs that we sing throughout this period of the calendar reflect the gospel that we are proclaiming as followers of Jesus. It begins now, it begins this week, and actually extends all the way through to Pentecost in the spring. So between now and spring, we actually get to live out the gospel through our celebrations and our gatherings. And this is the beginning of that. I'm excited for today. I'm excited to kick off a new teaching series for Advent called Traveling with Our Ancestors. And today, we are going to travel with our ancestor, Zechariah. But before we jump into that text, I want to invite you to pray with me. Let's center ourselves before we enter into this time of learning from Scripture. Would you join me? God, we thank you again for today, for this opportunity for us to gather together online, wherever we might be, at home or at work, in our cars, at school, wherever we are watching. We know that you are joining us together with you in the grace that enables us to follow after Jesus Christ. We pray that you would give us that grace today as we read these words and begin our journey through Advent together. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, we're going to jump into our new Advent series by opening up to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. And we're going to take two weeks, this week and next week, to read this story about Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were the parents of John the Baptist, a cousin of Jesus himself. And this story is amazing because in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5 through verse 24, we actually sort of get a three-part story. And today we're going to just visit the second of those three stories. Next week we're going to visit the third. But today I want to read to you at the beginning here sort of the introduction to these stories. And it starts there in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It says, In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. And his wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. So this is the first part of our sort of three-part story about Zechariah and Elizabeth. And this first part functions as a kind of introduction. Now we know these important vital facts about Zechariah, who's a priest, and Elizabeth, who's a descendant of Aaron. So both Zechariah and Elizabeth together are like sort of a priestly power couple. They have a lineage that's important to their community, and yet they're suffering this very public disgrace. They have been barren. They haven't been able to give birth to any children. And this clearly has become a burden to them, a source of real public shame, and a source of real sorrow and grief for them. That's our introduction to their story. Today, I want to pick it up by telling the first half of the next part of the story, and that is the story of Zechariah, picking it up in verse 8. Verse 8 says this, Once when he was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. 
Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people were praying outside. And then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at this birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will in turn turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And with spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And this is an amazing promise to a priest from an angel in the temple, essentially promising from God to fulfill all of, of Zechariah and Elizabeth's wishes. They have spent their entire adult lives grieving over the fact that they don't have children, and here stands an angel. In sort of classic Christmas story uh, depict, depicted as this terrifying presence in the temple and, and saying right out of the gate, don't be afraid because apparently there was something terrifying about angels. And then he says to Zechariah, you're going to get exactly what you've been wishing for. God is going to make Elizabeth pregnant with child and that child isn't going to just be any child, but it will be incredibly important to God's plans and will help turn many people back to God. How does Zechariah respond to this? This I think is incredibly telling about where Zechariah's heart was at this time in his life. Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. Now imagine that. Imagine seeing an angel, a vision of a terrifying angel in the temple who comes and stands before you and says you're going to get everything that you wanted. And Zechariah's response is not necessarily gratitude. It's not even belief. Zechariah's response is the response of a man who is weary and exhausted. And because he is weary and exhausted from a lifetime of hoping and praying and putting all of his desires into the promises of a Messiah that have never come about and all of his desires for the promises of offspring that have never come about, he very naturally responds in doubt and says, how do I know? How can I possibly know that what you're saying to me is true? You can almost hear in his voice the skepticism of somebody who is world weary and tired to the bone of putting his hope and his faith in the possibility that a good God might someday make things right in a very broken world. To me, this is a very understandable response. And sometimes we read this passage and we judge Zechariah and condemn Zechariah and sort of wonder why Zechariah didn't have the faith that we think we would have had in that situation. But I think having known people who have spent their entire lives hunger and thirsting for righteousness and never really seeing the righteousness and the justice of God come, 
in a painful and broken world full of suffering. I, I can understand the doubt and the skepticism that Zechariah portrays here. I've known so many people, and perhaps you have too, who looking at the world and seeing what could be, seeing what should be, hoping for what they want to bring about goodness and peace, are just beaten and battered and broken down by a world that never seems to get there. And as a result, they lose faith. They lose their ability to believe. They lose all hope. This week, this first week of Advent, is about hope. Traditionally, we gather the first Sunday of Advent and we lift up this idea that the expectation that God will come, that God will bring God's goodness, that God will send God's Messiah, we lift up this virtue of hope and we proclaim to each other that we must have hope for the goodness that's to come. But when we proclaim hope, I can't be can't help but be reminded of Zechariah, who was too tired, too weary, too broken, too battered to even have hope. And so he asks the angel for proof. How will I know that this is true? I love the angel's response. The angel in verse 19 says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you, to bring you this good news. But now, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at the delay in the sanctuary. When, they, when he did come out, he could not speak to them. And they realized that he'd seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remaining unable to speak. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. And that is the end of the story of Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. Zechariah comes into the temple. He sees this angel. He experiences fear. He hears good news. And he doubts. He brings his skepticism before the angel and says, where is my proof? How do I know that this is true? And the angel responds by saying to him, you shall not speak until this promise comes to pass. And one of the reasons I love this passage is because I think we tend to see Gabriel's casting Zechariah into this abyss of muteness, this inability to speak for the entire term of Elizabeth's pregnancy, we tend to see that as a kind of punishment, as a condemnation of Zechariah's unbelief. But what if this is not a condemnation or a punishment? What if this is actually a kind of gift? What if the very thing that Zechariah needed because of his weariness, because of the sense of defeat that he had, because of the sense that he had been publicly shamed all these years and didn't know if he could believe God's promises, what if the very thing that Zechariah needed more than anything else to be regenerated was silence? You know, this week I got a call from somebody who's a former member of our church here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. His name's Mike. And several years ago, I knew Mike because 
At the time, we were serving a dinner for people who lived on the streets, our neighbors who are without homes. Every Tuesday night, we'd serve them a dinner, and Mike would come on Tuesday nights with his wife and a couple of kids. They were all living on the street, and they would come on Tuesday night, and they would have dinner. And I knew Mike and his wife and his kids. They came and went over a period of a couple years and engaged with the church. And you know, Mike was a relatively young guy. He was in his early 30s at the time. He just never could seem to get it together. He always seemed to have a laundry list of problems going on in his life. And no matter how hard he tried to make it right, his own dysfunctions, his own lack of health, his own challenges with uh, dysfunctional thinking and relating to other people just always seemed to get in the way of Mike, Mike getting back on his feet. He, he would get a job and then he would lose it. They would get an apartment and then they would lose it. He would have a horrible uh, a fight with his, his wife or his kids and they would break up. And many nights I found Mike sleeping at the bottom of the ramp here at the church or on the front porch. And I would wake him up and I would find that he was still drunk or high from the night before. His life was just a mess. And Mike would hang around the church a lot and we'd give him little things to do. He'd help out around the church. We'd pay him for odd jobs. And one of the things that Mike would always do is he would talk my ear off. And it wasn't just that he was trying to have a conversation. He wasn't just trying to be friendly. Mike had an opinion about everything and his opinion was always right. Mike was apparently an expert at everything in the world, despite the fact that he couldn't hold down a job or keep a healthy relationship or somehow hang on to an apartment. Mike was an expert at everything. And he would talk at me and talk at me and talk at me about the way the world ought to be. Until one day when Mike was half drunk and high and was talking my ear off here at the church, one day I just have to admit, I sort of snapped. And I said, Mike, shut up. And it was like I slapped him in the face. He couldn't believe that I told him to shut up. And he stood there in stunned silence for a moment. And I took a deep breath and I said, Mike, you talk too much. Your life is a disaster. You have no idea how to get back on your feet. And yet you're here telling me how everything should be. You need to spend more time listening than talking. Well, I gotta tell you, Mike wasn't very happy about that quick little lecture that I gave to him and he stormed off and I didn't see Mike for about a week. But about a week later, Mike came back and he said, hey, can I talk to you? We sat down and he said, I wanna thank you because nobody has ever told me that before. Nobody has ever spoken to me that way before. And I realized, as angry as it made me, I realized you're right. I don't know what I'm doing I've screwed everything up and I really need to get help. Well, Mike got into a substance abuse program. He got into a shelter. He started to get help. And within a matter of about six months, he was clean and sober. Eventually, he found a job through some friends in Florida. And now I talk to Mike about once a year. And I talked to him last week. We talked on the phone. He's remarried. He's had a stable relationship for three years now. He has a great paying full-time job and he and his wife are living in a decent home and he's deeply involved in a local community of faith. Mike has never been healthier. And he reiterated to me again over the phone, 
Jason, I just want to thank you all those years ago for telling me the truth. I needed to shut up and listen to the people who cared about me. You know, it occurs to me that the the sicker Mike got, the more pathological he became, the more he talked. Almost as though like he was so afraid of his own dysfunctions, he was so afraid of his own challenges, so afraid of his own problems that he thought he could fill the air with noise all the time in order to avoid them. And that reminds me a little bit of our society today. We all live in a world that is incredibly noisy. And we live in a world that is increasingly pathological. Everywhere we go, there is somebody talking at us, somebody trying to sell us something, more channels popping up on our cable boxes or our streaming services, more advertisements competing for our time and more people, including friends, talking in our ears more often than not, trying to sell us something. And it occurs to me that sometimes what we need in order to get healthy, what we need in order to find courage, what we need in order to rekindle our faith that God can do something good in our world is quiet. Just quiet. Just an opportunity to stop the noise. Just an opportunity to be free from the pressure to feel like we always have to be an expert, that we always have to have the answers, but instead that we can enter into a time of silence and quiet so that we can hear that still small voice of God be healed from our weariness, be healed from our bone-tired, battered, and bruised selves so that we can reconnect with the realization that however noisy our world is, no matter how much everything and everyone wants to bluster at us and sell to us, Beyond all that, God is bringing about God's purposes. And there, in that realization, the quietness and the silence and the solitude, we can rediscover the hope, the courage to believe that God really is bringing about something good in God's own timing. This week, I want to encourage you to find time for quiet, for silence, for space so that you can insulate yourself from the noise of the world around you or the noise in your own head and give the Spirit of God an opportunity to reconnect with you, to find that sense of courage that you need to have hope something good is coming. Would you just join with me in a word of prayer as we close today? God, we thank you again for this opportunity for us to come to this story today about Zechariah, to come to this place together as a church where we are learning to have hope in your promises. 
where we can have the courage to believe that good things are coming. We ask that you would make that real for us. We ask that you would help us to see what's true in your purposes for our lives and the lives of those around us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining us today. We have a few couple quick announcements before we head off. So the first is, if you're new, we would love to connect. You can head on over to OceansideSanctuary.org contact. Fill out a little new person form there and we'll be in touch because we want to get to know you. And if you're here and new, we'd love to say hello. As you know, this Sunday started the season of Advent. And as a church, we are going through this book called Traveling with Our Ancestors by Sanja Jha which is kind of our focus for the series of Advent this season. So we really invite you to get that book. You can pick it up at the church. You can go to Amazon. You can get the book there. And we're going to journey with this book together. And every day there's a daily reflection, and that starts today. So check that out and go ahead and grab the book. Next, related to that, we're also starting a community group. The Nzunzas are starting this group. They're gonna host it at their house, which is also around this theme of traveling with our ancestors. It's limited to 12 people, so you can head on over to oceansidesanctuary.org calendar. You can RSVP to be a part of this group. And this is just a group that's gonna go through the season of Advent together, starting this Wednesday for three Wednesdays in a row around the theme, traveling with our ancestors. And lastly, today after church, so around noon, if you'd like to come to the church in person, we're going to do our famous hanging of the greens, which is something we do every single year. Where basically we transform the church, we decorate it, we get it ready for the Christmas season and Advent by you know, putting up a Christmas tree and greens. And it's a really fun family activity. If you'd like to be involved, that's happening today, right after our in-person service at noon. And lastly, as always, we are a 501c3 nonprofit and we rely on the gifts and donations of people just like you. So if you're able this holiday season, uh, if you're able to give any amount, we really, really appreciate that. That's how we survive and how we thrive here in Oceanside. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for being a part of the service today. Happy Advent. This is a wonderful season to celebrate, and we're really excited to see what emerges through it. All right, everyone, peace and blessings.